Yeah, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Paul. Uh, it's exciting to see all of you. If you're new to the church, uh, we want to get connected with you. So there should be a card in front of you. Uh, fill that out. If you're new online, uh, just post in the chat. Say, hey, I'm here. Uh, and we want to connect with you. So it's good to see all the new faces. All the regulars, it's good to see your beautiful faces as well. Uh, welcome to church. And Hallelujah. Yeah, so many, so many things going on. Those, those are some great moments in the, uh, in the, uh, in the worship, and so much clarity coming. Uh, I was struck by these one words. I can't even remember the name of the song, but we were singing this, these words, and this is what it says: it "says You're more real than the ground I'm standing on. You're more real than the wind in my lungs." Uh, I feel like God wants to bring an impartation today. Clarity, vision, spiritual vision is something that's given. All right? I mean, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly, but not everybody sees as darkly as others. And in fact, that's, that's the constant theme you have in the discipleship process for uh, not only Jesus himself, and he's dealing with the disciples, right? I mean, uh, he's, he's over and over again, he, he's correcting them, he's rebuking them, he's exhorting them. It says, how is it that you still are in this condition? How is it you don't see? How is it you don't understand? Are you still dull? Are you still, is your, are your hearts still hard? Why would he, you know, why, why would he constantly come back to that? And again, the Hebrew writers especially hits on this same thing. He's talking about a cross-section of people, and he says to them, he says, by now, you ought to be this, but you're still this. By now, you, you ought to be ones who are teaching and leading, but instead, you become dull. And I have to like start all over again. The Apostle Paul talks about the same thing when he's dealing with the Corinthian church. He said, listen, I'd like to talk to you as to mature, but I can't because you are still children in your understanding. Now, the difference between children and adults is important to distinguish here because here, here's the main difference. Children are, have experiences because the adults make it possible. Kids go to the beach, kids have sleepovers, kids get to the mall, kids go to camp, right? Because somebody else facilitates that. That's one of the key differences between spiritual children and spiritual mature people is that some people know how it works and they go there on purpose. Others, things happen to them. And when things happen to you, they're, they're occasional. And you don't know the conditions under which this one thing will transpire one moment and not in another. It's like, yeah, I don't know how this works. I guess God's ways are mysterious. <laughs> they are if you're looking through a glass darkly or not at all. But the whole objective that God has is that this will get clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer so that what used to happen by accident now happens on purpose. And I, I've illustrated this umpteen numbers of ways over the last 20 years here in this house. And you know, if you go back and you listen, you can see that, oh, he's talked about this before. Yes, he has. <laughs> because throughout the scripture, the same things are repeated again and again and again. So last night I, I was uh, awakened at about three hours after I went to sleep, which was unfortunate. So I was struggling to fall asleep. and Anyway, I won't give you the details of all that. I, eventually, I, I, I got and went to another bed to try to sleep. I couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden, scriptures are come, you know, just cascading down on my mind. And I thought, I'm too tired 
to write notes, to, to look up verses. I'm, I don't want to do that right now, Lord. I want to sleep. But I, I couldn't get away from it, so I got up in the middle of the night and I started to write down these verses. And, and there's far too many of them to cover in a morning, but we're going to try. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I want to say this again. You know what? Read the Bible. Gosh, read it. I started, I, I had this theme. I started, uh, I started in the Old Testament. I was in the Gospels. And I finally, I thought I had, you know, a good summation of scriptures around this theme that I'm going to touch this morning. And then this morning in my Bible reading, I began to read in Philippians. And as I'm reading in Philippians, I thought, the whole flipping book is about this thing. The whole flipping Philippian book is about this amazing offering that God has for us. And it begins with seeing. God wants you to see. God's not purposely hiding things from you so you don't see. Anything he has hid, he has hid for the purpose of you discovering it. Why? Because there's something being done in the discovery process. I was watching an episode of a show, and let me, let me just, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place now, so we'll, we'll see if we can get to the sequence that I've thought I might get to, but I was watching a show, a, a legal show the other week, and in this legal show, there was a guy who was in charge of all the interns, and the interns didn't like him, and he was quite hard on them, but this rumor was getting around amongst the interns that they were, get, they, they were doing all this guy's work for him, and uh, so he's talking to one of the other lawyers, and he says, he says, what? Really? They think that? You're the hardest working lawyer I've ever seen. It's like, like, that's crazy that they would even think this. And he said, yeah, you're right. So anyway, the next day, the interns come in for work, and this lawyer walks down the aisles of all their little desks, and he's throwing files on each of their desks, and he said, this is this brief, and this is this thing. And, he, and he, during the night, he did all of their work. All of their, all of their work. There's 15 of them. He did it all. He said, listen, I hear that some of you think that you're doing my work for me. You're not doing my work for you. I'm giving you an opportunity to come up into something. I'm not getting you to do my work. I'm training you so you can do this work. This is what we do as lawyers. And I can do your work in my sleep. Why? Because I've done this thousands of times, basically. But what you have in me assigning you this work is an opportunity to come into something. And then he talks about how the opportunity is greater than any other law firm, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is this, is that when God calls you to do something, he's not punitive in his, in his, in his motive. He's not, this is not about punishment. This is about adding something to you that you don't have right now. And so in the Proverbs, it, there's this great promise. I see it as a promise anyway. Let me see, it's probably way down the line in my verses here, but Proverbs 25, 2, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. And he might have been talking about actual kings at the time, but I think it's fair then we apply that to you because spiritually it applies to you. And, and this, is, this is the point. It's, we're called to be kings and priests. And God is saying, listen, I've concealed some things, not because I don't want you to see them, but in discovering them, something in you will change. In the journey of you digging for, groping in the ground, seeking for, losing your dignity losing, your comfort losing, your, your unwillingness applying yourself to something, not only will you find the treasure, but something in you will change so that you can steward that treasure. And so if I'm calling you to seek me, it's not because I'm so egotistical that I, I want, you know, this, 
this parade of people all around me so I can feel important. I don't need you to feel important. You need me to feel important. And so I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about treasure today. I want to talk about impartation today. I want to talk about uh, the concept of seeking and finding. There's a lesson here in pursuit. Now, we, are, we already do that. We already pursue. The question is, are we pursuing what's worth being pursued? We're all longing for something. We're all looking for something. We're all wanting something more. But there's, there's a, a distraction where we're looking for the wrong things. We're being pulled into this present world and we're more mindful of the things of this world. In fact, when you go to some of these passages where he's talking about those that are dull and those that are, are spiritual, it really is about, about uh, which world are you focused on? I mean, when the Apostle Paul is talking about himself in Second Corinthians, he says, while well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He's talking about our citizenship being in heaven. He's, he's talking about our orientation, that we're, we're meant to be oriented around this world, this invisible world. Now, again, this morning during the worship, I was just feeling that sense of responsibility. Why is it that God is calling you to seek? Because he wants you to find. You can enjoy a certain administration of the Spirit of God that's brought because of the body, and that's great, and sometimes we just need that. But at some point, God wants you to be a part of the solution because there is a light that's beginning to shine that the Apostle John talked about 2,000 years ago. He said the true light is already shining, and it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter until the full day. We are in the brightest day history has ever seen. So don't believe the lie that this is dar a darker day than, than yesterday. There's no such thing as darker days for us. They're brighter and brighter. What's, what's happening? It's evil is being exposed for the evil that it is. And so when it looks like there's a resurgence of evil, there's not a resurgence of evil. There's a dramatic demonstration that this is evil. Right? I mean, the, the confusion around our, the human existence is such that when the Nazis were rising in Germany, the Nazis were rising in Italy. There was a Nazi party, a uh, political movement in England. Well, what really? How could that be? Because it wasn't clear who were the bad guys. It, it wasn't clear who were the ones that were nurturing evil. And it wasn't clear because of darkness. But eventually, if you let this thing play out a little bit, it wasn't long before we realized, ah, oh, yeah, Hitler, he's the bad guy. <laughs> he's the bad guy. That obscurity, that lack of clarity that's, that's in the world is not only, not only can be resolved, we are meant to be the agents which resolve it for others. But to resolve it, we have to know that we know that we know that we know that we know. And that's what your discovery is about. Your journey of finding more of God is critical. Now, along the way, there's all these voices. And there's some surfacing again. And I, I don't want to get into who's been saying this, but just the other day I heard a guy say, you know, I used to press in. And, and uh, I, I'm not going to get into what that represented, but there's a scene in Forrest Gump, and uh, his Captain Dan, Dang, Lieutenant Dang, yeah, Lieutenant Dang, he's, he's uh, you know, he's lost his legs, he's, he's an alcoholic, he's on the streets, and he, he runs into Forrest again, and he says, he says, Forrest, did you find Jesus? He says, uh, I, I didn't know he was lost, Lieutenant Dang. And, and it's, it's funny for us, but the point is, 
that the whole continuum of your faith requires constant seeking. But, but I found him. Yeah, you found a part of him. He's bigger than that. Whatever you think you know about God, he's bigger than that. Right? Uh, he's bigger than that. So, so our journey can be characterized by a constant pursuit. And as we know, we're already pursuing. As I said, so I wrote this down because I'm always amused at the way that people will pursue what they believe is important at the moment and ignore pursuing what is truly important. So uh, sometimes I've had the opportunity to see the lengths that people will go to pursue famous people. Just the other day I was sharing with uh, my niece. I can't remember the name of the guy, but I, I took a picture with a famous guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. In, in a lounge in Vancouver. I, I, didn't, I didn't want his picture, but I thought, I knew some people who really think this is cool. Uh, what's that guy's name? He's, anyway, it's the guy in Argo that... Uh, William H. Macy. William H. Macy, that, that's him, yeah. William H. Macy, anyway. So I, I took a picture of him, and I thought, I don't want to bother him. Like, I don't, but I thought, oh, I know some people that really think this is cool. So I, I went over there. But I, I didn't like doing that. I didn't like bothering him. I didn't like, and, and furthermore, I didn't want to be one of those pining fans, right? Because I thought, you know, it's, it's actually kind of humbling to go ask somebody else for their picture because it puts you in a position where you're pursuing them, Right? And there's something about that that's a little humbling. And so I thought, well, I, I don't want to be those, one of those doting idiot fans. It's really what I didn't want to be. And yet, it'd be kind of cool. I know some people who would like this. So I, I, I bit the, my lip and kind of went and did it. But that's the point. I want you to think about that. I had to subjugate something to go and pursue him. And it was uncomfortable. And uh, I didn't have hardly enough reasons to do it, <laughs> right? Because I didn't, I didn't care that much. I was in another uh, lounge one time, and I saw uh, not Gordon Ramsay, but uh, Bobby Flay, and all people were taking, getting their pictures taken with him. He's a famous cook, chef, something. <laughs> and uh, and I was thinking, oh, I don't think I uh, would would need a picture with him so much that I would get in line for this, <laughs> right? But who would you get in line for? I want you to think about that. Who would you make a fool? Because, well, that's what you're doing. Who would you subjugate yourself in order to get a picture or to be seen with or to have dinner with or walk into a room with or to be considered a friend of? Now, if we started canvassing the room, right, there might be some people in some spheres of life, like I'm not a mechanic guy, I'm not a car guy. You might know some car racing guy, right, Henry? Henry's not even here. <laughs> you know, he, he follows uh, the, the, those car races. I can't even remember the name of them. It's not Grand Prix, it's the other one. Oh, somebody knows, right? <laughs> I mean, if I saw one of those guys, I, I wouldn't even recognize them. Just the other day, I was in a golf tournament, and we went to come up to the wrong hole, and there was some Oiler hockey players and the coach there getting, getting in. A, well, I'd, uh, somebody says, well, I wish I was on that team. Like, what team? Like, who was there? Like, didn't you know who that was? No, I didn't. <laughs> never noticed, never cared, didn't bother me. I didn't think I missed a lot. So we, we do pursue we are willing to lay down our dignity to get certain things. The question is, are we willing to do it for God? Or is God so obscure? Is his presence so veiled? Is the reward of seeking him so minimal in our minds and hearts that we can't bring ourselves 
to do anything significant in humbling ourselves to have more of him. So here's what it takes. In order to seek God, in the same way you have to seek a celebrity, you have to value what it is you're going to get. And you have to value it more than the cost that you're going to have to pay. And if the cost you're going to have to pay is greater than the value you're getting at it, you don't seek. Well, (laughs) it's the same whether it's a famous actor, hockey player, or some NASCAR driver, as it is in the kingdom of heaven. How much do we really want more of God? And the point is this, and this is the reality of the scripture, is that there's something, there's a power at work that subdues our eagerness, that subdues our sense of the importance of a greater encounter. It causes us to be dull. It causes us to be deaf. It causes our hearts to be hard such that we can't. That's just too humility. What, you want me to dance? What, you want me to shout? What, you want me to lift my hand? What, you want me to come to the front? I might be visible. I don't want to get on camera. I mean, think about it. How many layers of hurdles are there in your life for you to be as diligent in seeking Jesus as you might Elvis Presley if he was alive and walked by. If you think, who is that person right now? Who's that figure that you would... (gasps) (laughs) You know, what lengths would you go to get a snapshot or a moment? Or, man, to be their friend. Oh, well, now I've got to show all my friends that I'm their friend. The point is there's... There are many centers. There are many, many power centers. There are many things that we're drawn to. But what the scripture is promising, all of these, all of these competing centers of the universe are going to be done away. All of these potential important pinnacle moments that you could have with another human being are, are, are nothing compared to what is being offered to you. Do you see what's being offered to you? That's the question. How clear is it? The reason we come here on Sundays is so it can get clearer. The reason we come to a prayer meeting is so we can get clear, not to check a box to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't have to feel guilty this week. I went to church. It's not the purpose of church. We don't go to church so we can say, I went to church. We go to church to seek him. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the impartation, but this is the reality. That your senses can be awakened to perceive him in a more acute way. But here's here's the challenge. I hear music on the wall over there. Can somebody go over there and close the door or something? It's very distracting. We got three people going. I lost my train of thought. So, thank you, Lord. The Apostle Paul really is just talking about this. He's talking about these different value systems that we have. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 11, this is what he says. Listen to this. What things were gained to me these I have counted loss for Christ. In other words, I used, to, I used to be oriented around these particular objectives. I wanted to be important in the system of Judaism. I did whatever it took to rise in the ranks, to be esteemed by those who seemed to be something in the structure of this system. I used to do that. That used to be me. But all these things, all, all the promise, all the accolades, all the, the different, you know, the tassels I might get, the little new hat. 
whatever it is in that system that would bring me some kind of reward, some kind of higher level of respect, I just don't value it anymore. I, how did you get there, Paul? How did you get there? How did you get so you didn't care about that anymore? I saw that it was worthless. I saw, I began to perceive something else as more worthy of the pursuit of my heart. Something else began to be worth humbling myself, making myself more undignified even than I ever did before because I knew, A, that I could have it, and I knew that this was the path. So I want to say to you right now, do you understand what it is God is offering, and do you understand the path? Because if you do, you'll be able to start to talk the same way Paul talked. He said, yeah, I, I used to really give myself to try to be this kind of person, to be perceived this way. But I, I realized, no, it's, I want Jesus more than anything else. And we could say that. It's easy to say that. But he goes on and he says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to paint a picture in these few words. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The knowledge of Jesus. Now, you can, what does the knowledge of Jesus mean? It can mean, you know, knowing the things that Jesus knows. But I think it's more... The focus, the heart of it, is knowing the treasure that is Jesus himself. We have an opportunity, and, and this is the reality, okay? You got all these systems. You got, you got the Elks Club, and you can maybe one day aspire to be the vice president, the secretary of the Elks Lodge, the sacred water buffalo council or whatever, Fred Flintstone. Right, we've got all these clubs. We've got all these potential ladders, that, and they're, they're, they're all over the place. Every sphere of life has dozens and dozens of them. All you have to do is go to work, and you see these little, these little you know, realtor of the month. Who cares to be the realtor of the month, bedloats? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. It's, it's fine to have accomplishments, but the point is, there is an accomplishment whose reward will not pass away. I mean, there's a system that's going to endure and endure and endure. It will never pass away. An order. A, that's what the kingdom of God is about. It, there's an order. There's promotion. There's positions. There's glories. There's influence. And it, all through eternity... We are going to be a part of that system. And the only time we have to increase our standing in it is right now. You can't increase your standing in it after you die. After Jesus returns. Everything you do now is what matters. Father, I pray today. For an impartation, I pray that the vagueness of the reward system of the kingdom of God, the things that would seem so humbling, oh, it's too high a price to pay. I'm, I'm not even sure that will get me closer to Jesus. Father, touch our hearts. So Paul is he's giving his testimony, really, all the way through Philippians to say... I was a part of this system. I valued these things. But you know what? I've been awakened. I've been awakened. Now, the whole seeking element, we don't seem to understand. And I, a couple of Wednesdays ago, I talked about this on a Wednesday night. And I'd love to talk more specifically about what it means to seek. Because, because we... I can't even say what the influence is, and I don't even want to frame up that side of the, the issue. But the reality is we don't really know how to pursue God. It's like, it's like we've been told that if you pursue God, that's the evidence of not having him. 
And so in order to demonstrate that you know him, you have to walk around with, you know, like, and speak confidently about the things you know. But it, it's, it's ridiculous because it doesn't matter what sphere of knowledge we're talking about, whether it's mechanics, whether it's physics, whether it's mathematics, whether it's hockey, there's always something to be acquired. It's just that all of those other pursuits, uh, there's not treasure at the end of the rainbow. This one, there's treasure at the end of the rainbow. Treasure that won't pass away. It's not a, well, here's your uh, 25 years of service. Here's your pen. Whoa. Uh, a golden pen? Well, no, it's just gold colored. <laughs> 25 years for this. So there's a requirement of humility. There's, so to that end, Jesus gives this great analogy. In Luke 18, 9 14 it says he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself god i thank you that i am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even as this tax collector I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, I don't care where you are in the journey. More will require that you humble yourself. That you think more clearly about what you have and what you don't have. See, what arrogance is, it's a notion, it's an idea that we have more than we think we do. We parade ourselves as though we do, because it's like, I don't need more. I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of satisfied with my Christian life. If I died now, I, you know, I'd be happy to be a master corporal in heaven. <laughs> do, would you? You say that now until you see the glory of the eternal kingdom. Once you see saints who shine like the morning star, you're going to wish you had paid a little more attention to that pursuit. When you walk around heaven like an LED light bulb, 10 watts, (laughs) and you walk by a million watt believer who has to wear something to conceal the amount of light that they're, they're pouring out because you can't even look in their general direction. You know, I, uh, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. This is what Paul's saying. I have seen the value in what I'm being offered. And so I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to give myself. I'm willing to suffer indignities. Imagine... I mean, Paul, he, 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 was, he was hurt, he was whipped, he was humiliated, he was tossed in prison. All of these things. And yet here we are in church on a Sunday with people who basically believe like we do. There's nobody in here persecuting, going to kill you, going to throw you in prison. But like, I don't know, I'm not sure if I want to dance. It's, like, it's a little... It's a little, I'm uncomfortable with that. I understand. I understand how uncomfortable this is. When I first became a Christian, I thought, ah, I don't want to do it wrong. When I look back at all these things that God asked me to do, what he was undoing is my orientation around myself. Mark, you give too much thought 
to how you will appear if, 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 if. That is the tyranny of your captivity right there. I can sum it up for you, Mark. What I'm doing is I'm taking you out of your captivity. You're so oriented around how you appear, you protect that like the Mona Lisa. How about dying? How about humbling yourself? I don't know. What's in it for me? <laughs> I mean, and make no mistake about it. The, the reality of a promise, the reality of a reward is not evil. And to consider re the reward is not selfishness. Because the nature of selfishness is doing what matters now versus doing what, what now what matters later. Selfishness, once resolve in the moment, faith is willing to put off resolve for a thousand years or more. That's the difference. It's an orientation. It's about a kingdom that's now versus a kingdom that's invisible. Also now, you just can't see it. Are you with me? There, there is a fire that God wants to light up inside of you that will start to diminish the, your sense of the price that you're paying to start to see that what you've paid and what you're willing to pay and what you think it's costing you is nothing compared to the reward that you're going to get. And this was the revelation of Paul. He's, he says, I'm not going to diminish the reward. I'm going to diminish the sacrifice. Self enlarges the sacrifice. Well, I'm not sure I could do that, you know. What, you want me to give a testimony? You want me to stand up? You want me to be awkward for three seconds? Yes, I want you to, that thing, that, that awkwardness for three seconds, five seconds, or whatever, that is a thing inside of you that's corrupting your vision, your perspective, your life, your, your priorities, your value systems. It's, it's pulling you into the earth. It's killing you. And God is saying, you got to kill it. I'm off. I keep, I keep telling you, this is what I'm giving. This is what I'm giving. This is what I'm giving. It's like, yeah, I hope to get that someday. But if you're not willing to bear the price of that, and what, what is the price? It's, it's more than that awkwardness. But it seems in our culture that struggle we have around not willing to feel uncomfortable is a big one. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So what do they have to do? They have to seek. They have to seek. James 4, 7 to 10, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. F cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your, purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. What is he saying? You know, that tax collector, what he was, the way he was doing it, he was, he was, what was he doing? He's like, I am... Because they think, well, he's probably an unbeliever. Of course he has. He hasn't repented yet. He hasn't asked Jesus into his heart. That's why he's doing that. I don't have to do it anymore because now I'm a Christian. My eternity is secure. Yeah, 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 but your proximity is not. Your eternity is secure, but your proximity is not. Where are you going to be in eternity is not yet decided. And it's not God deciding that. You're deciding that. And so what the... What's happening in that process, oh God, be merciful to me, is you're trying to break past the pull, the gravitational pull of your ego that says, I want to be a, appear a certain way. I don't like see, being perceived as out of control, disheveled. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I mean, if, if I really saw there was something going after it, and every, if everybody else saw that I was, you know, if there was a baby in a burning building, then I would... You know, I would do all the things that demonstrate diligence and effort. And I would do whatever it took to break past those. Because everybody gets to see. And what's the message? They have their reward. That momentary, whoa, well done. 
That is the reward. The nature of the kingdom is I want you to, for something nobody could see. And instead, you're ridiculed because they can't see what you see. Yeah, but you're here and like, I don't see it. That's part of what's being offered. Do you want to see it? And here's, here's what happens is in your life, God will give you moments where he'll show you to catalyze effort. But if you don't respond to that effort, you, come, you become dull again to that, that, that urgency. Otherwise, he has to, you have to be under constant judgment, and he won't do that to you. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But he's saying, like, I'm giving you a moment here in this, this season of your life. An urgency can be upon you to lean in to me like you've never leaned into you. But, but Lord, I have to do it in front of people, and I've, I've got to be one of those ones. It's, it's, you know, for some of us, it's like being one of those street people that's walking down the road. Right? It's like, like it's so ridiculous. Like, oh, that's horrible to be that broken and that unaware of reality. But to be a a kingdom believer and to seek for what others can't see. It's like that. Are you willing to bear that kind of humiliation? God says that's the price for wanting the invisible kingdom. And you can't barely do it around people that already assent to the same things. What is that? What is, and that's what we're looking at. What is that tyranny? What am I anchored to? That I can't give any effort to seek God. It's embarrassing. But yet, hey, Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'll stand in line for three weeks. <laughs> Are you getting this? What James is talking about, he says, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, listen, you guys are yoked to the system of the world. You can't seek God because you love the world. And the world is the thing that everybody else values. I'm giving you a value system other than that value system. But you have to break out of the tyrannical gravitational pull of the orbit of that thing to break out. God, be merciful to me. God, I want more of you. Oh, could I even want God that much to make that kind of noise? And it, this is not an uncommon problem. I talked about Charles Finney before he became Charles Finney that we know. He's a lawyer. He's He's feeling this pull of God, and he goes in the woods to seek God, but he's embarrassed that somebody might come along the path. So he's, he's behind a log. And says, oh, God! <laughs> what is he wrestling with? Self-awareness. Somebody might come, sir, that doesn't understand, and they'll misunderstand me. They'll characterize me. You know, they'll, they'll slot me in with the, the street people. That are walking around in delusion, mental illness. I'm not one of those. I'm, I'm saying I'm normal. I'm, I have to sell this, pro, this package. I, I'm going to close right away. I didn't hardly get down any of this, but <laughs> listen, listen to this. Paul's writing to the Colossians. He says, for I... I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the full assurance of understanding. Ah, this is the heart of, you could have an assurance of understanding. You could have an understanding of the kingdom that will calm you, that will bring you peace, that will, that will drive your disciplines in a way that 
the whole world would wish they had. The full understanding, the full assurance of understanding to the to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm praying today for an impartation that you will realize there's gold to be had, and it's better than gold. It's, it's better than, than diamonds. It's better than precious gems and rubies. In Christ are hid Treasures that once you have them, they are yours. Once you enter into a spirit of revelation and understanding, when God begins to teach you his secrets, it's not just things you know in your brain that you might lose if you get Alzheimer's. There are things that become a part of your being that when you walk around in eternity in heaven, not only do you have an elevated position, but the very nature of the wisdom that you carry is evident in the light that's shining out from your being, and it'll never pass away. Do, you, do we appreciate the treasures? This is what it says in Hebrews. It's talking about faith, that faith is required for pursuing you have to believe. You have to really, otherwise you can't get over that hurdle. You're stuck in no man's land. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to be too conspicuous here with my worship. And then nothing wrong with like this, but it's the, it's the, it's the resistance that keeps you from doing anything beyond that. This is what he says. He says, God is pleased by faith because faith does something. Faith pleases God because it's the necessary ingredient to pursue him because those who pursue him must believe that he is. So to the degree that you know that this is treasure that can be had, you will go for it. And when people go up to the Klondike or, you know, up to Northwest Territories, you know, the Yukon during the gold rush, right? Selling everything they have, leaving every comfort for the prospect, the possibility of being wealthy. He's saying, listen, there's treasure here. You have to believe that there's treasure and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know who he's saying that to? He's saying that to Hebrew believers, He's saying that to those who had become dull, those who had, whose vision and ambitions had turned away from the glorious light and the treasures, the eternal reward of what God is offering to, well, you know, if I could just be this guy, wear that special hat, have those bars on my shoulder, be called Sir. This is the tyranny of this present age. Temporary reward that's passing away, eternal reward that will not pass away. How clearly do you see this? Do you see it clear enough to do what Paul did? I consider all of this rubbish. Rubbish! For the excellence of the knowledge of him. This is true treasure. Father, I pray today. Let's stand up together. Father, I pray today that we could enter a time of seeking you, of valuing what you have to give us, that will bring us to the place where we consider no price too high of a price, no indignity too much, and that we would be able to say with the same confidence of Paul that this is not even worthy to be compared with this. So great is the offering of the eternal kingdom of God. Oh God, I want to be convinced. I want the full assurance of understanding. 
Father, I pray for a spirit of revelation on us here in this place, in this church, Lord, that you would create a culture, God, that is relentless, where we will be relentless in our pursuit of God. In Jesus' name. Now, that doesn't always mean an open show and demonstrative noise. But if that's the barrier for you, then that is the price. <laughs> and that's how God does this. The cost to you might be different than me. But at the end, it will be your dignity. It will be the identity that you fashioned around what makes me look important, what makes me look the way I want to appear to men. That's the thing that will have to die. You will have to become of no reputation in that regard. If that's how you define reputation. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And so, Father, today, let, let a clarity be on us of what is before us today, what is available in this season. Father, we ask that you remind us of the prophetic words not only given today, but, Lord, of, the, of down through the ages, the scripture of which is full, our history of which is full about a generation of Jacob, of those who seek your face. Father, may we be found to be those ones. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Yeah, I guess uh, two questions we can go home and think about, right? Is who are we pursuing? That's one of the questions I heard. And let's be honest and real with ourselves. Uh, Jen and I were kind of joking, actually, and she kind of whispered over to me and she said, Captain Picard. <laughs> Not Patrick Stewart, right? Captain Picard, you know, and so when Mark asked that question, I think we can think of people that we would want to pursue, but ultimately we know who we're called to pursue. And the question is, what are we willing to do for the one we're called to pursue? And what Mark's talking about is not just our two hour service. This is our life. This isn't about church. He's using that as an illustration. It's our life. Everywhere we go, Whatever we're doing when God speaks, are we willing to do what he asks us to do regardless of what it looks like? It's a great question. Amen. It's a good challenge because ultimately this is what we're called to, right? Bringing the kingdom of heaven in every sphere that we go. It's going to require us taking leaps of faith. Amen. So Father, I just pray a blessing on everybody in this house today. Father, again, wherever they're at, I pray that you would touch them. If certain ones need to be healed, if certain ones need a breakthrough, God, we pray that that would take place. But Father, today we make a commitment, and our commitment is this. We choose to pursue you. And Father, we're going to go above and beyond that. When you speak, we will respond. So Father, I just pray faith would fall upon each one of us in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, be encouraged.